Hello, this is Adal Neme from DataCup, and welcome to Data Framed, a podcast covering all things data and its impact on organizations across the world. One thing we always think about at DataCamp, whether in webinars, white papers, or podcast episodes, is the data maturity of organizations and what are the hallmarks of a data-driven organization. It's oftentimes a combination of infrastructure, skills, tools, organizational models, and processes that enable data-driven decision-making at scale. This is why I'm so excited to have Chafri Bahar, VP of Data Science at Gojek, on today's show. Gojek is an Indonesian super app that provides more than 20 data-enabled digital services such as food delivery, transportation, commerce, payments, and more. It was the country's first unicorn, and decacorn for that matter, and Chafri oversees a large portfolio of data products and manages a variety of data roles. Throughout the episode, Chafri discusses his background, the hallmarks of a high-impact data team, how he measures the ROI on data activities, the skills needed in every successful data team, what is the best organizational model for data-mature organizations, how COVID-19 affected Gojek's data teams, his thoughts on data literacy and data governance, future trends in data science and AI, and why data scientists should sharpen their math and machine learning skills in an age of increasing automation. Also, we'd absolutely love your feedback on how we can make DataFramed a better show for you and which guests you think we should bring on the show. I left a survey link in the episode description. Please make sure to fill it out as I greatly appreciate it. Jeffrey, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot, actually. I'm I'm happy to be um, in this uh, podcast. I'm excited to discuss with you the data science powering Gojek and all the best practices you've developed leading data science at such a data mature organization. Uh, Before we begin, though, can you give us a brief introduction about your background and Gojek's mission for those who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, so my name is Shafri. Um, I've been a Gojek career for uh, around three years. So prior to this, I spent like most of my careers are actually doing modeling within financial institutions. So banks, asset management, insurance, right? I'm like hoping from one uh, type of risk into like another type of risk. And I think what's really nice about it because each of the risk type actually incorporates different mathematical models. Uh, so it also gave me quite a, some exposure to like a different uh, quantitative techniques uh, available out there. And then, yeah, now, now I'm with Gojek. So I'm, I'm overseeing like uh, uh, data as a whole, actually, so I, I'm, I'm overseeing a, a portfolio related to consumer uh, science and analytics at Gojek. And I basically oversee several job ladders. So we have at Gojek, we have data science, we have decision science, and also uh, business intelligence. So yeah, that, that's a little bit about me. I'm sure you're also curious about Gojek. Gojek is uh, in itself is, um, I would characterize it as um, like a super app, actually, like on-demand app. Like especially with the merger with Tokopedia, we're uh, the largest in Indonesia for sure for now. Um, and then with Gojek, we have around 20 plus products. Uh, you name it, actually. So we have uh, ride hailing, we have uh, food deliveries, we have logistics, uh, even streaming service, actually. So it's quite a lot. And then those are the different offering offerings that we can actually give to our customers in Indonesia. I think one out of four Indonesians actually has Gojek install. So that's a good thing. Um, in terms of our drivers, we have around two, two and a half million uh, drivers. So it's quite a huge, basically. I think together with our new uh, uh, friend, Tokopedia, we've contributed to around 2% of Indonesian GDP. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty huge. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's massive. And I think for Western audiences, the best similarity to Gojek maybe would be WeChat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so given the wide variety of tools and services Gojek provides, I'm sure data science plays a massive role throughout the value chain of different Gojek products and services. Do you mind giving a brief overview of some of these key areas of data science that deliver value for Gojek, you know, whether for customers or internal usage? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, especially what is what I really like about Gojek, right? Because data science is really plays a cent- central role in uh, uh, different product offerings that we have. Basically, if we look at the whole life cycle of customers from uh, acquisitions, activation, retention, maximizations, right? Uh, from their booking values, even the customer services, we have a lot of like uh, machine learning uh, s- uh, system actually powering those use cases. So it's actually quite broad, but if I can name s- uh, some of them, so definitely, I think one of the first use case of data science at Gojek will be in our matchmaking engine. Uh, so basically, this is an engine that's responsible to match drivers and orders, right? And uh, what's really nice about it, I think from business perspective, that it is a multi-objective. So one can actually specify what kind of objectives that we, they want to like business wants to optimize. And then the model and the system actually will learn itself and then give the best uh, allocation, right? So that's number one, uh, like a standard uh, plain vanilla use cases are also um, we can see uh, in, on, on search and the recommendation engine that we have. So we also apply that, and I think especially like uh, one of the biggest machine learning system as well that we that we have at Gojek uh, it's called Gobstopper. So Gobstopper is a, in essence is a promo allocation engine, right? So it is basically responsible for like eighty percent of the demand generation budget of of the company, which is very which is really huge, actually. So what this engine will do is that it will allocate the right vouchers to the right customers. And we're basically combining counterfactual machine learning also with uh, some optimization, AppSec type of optimization in order to achieve that. So it's quite a combination of multiple things. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's a very large portfolio to manage and must be very exciting. Um, I want to set the stage for today's conversation. Uh, So you're currently the VP of data science at Gojek. Uh, Gojek is quite a data mature organization. It was born with data in mind. And many organizations look at firms like Gojek as really the gold standard or North Star uh, and where they want to become. Uh, So there are many levers towards succeeding in data transformation and cultivating high performance teams. Uh, High performance data teams is such an important part of this. I wanted to know what do you think are the hallmarks or characteristics of a high-performing data team? Yeah, I think, I think for me, like high, high-performing team, right? Um, I think there are a couple of characterizations that I would, the way I would describe the high-performing team, right? So number one, they need to be empowered, right? And I think the executive sponsorship plays a very big role in this. Because again, if you look at the machine learning investment, right? Sometimes it takes years, not even months, it takes years until it, it manifests into something which can be measurable, right? So like having an executive sponsor is very important, definitely number one, right? And having that will ensure that the team will feel empowered. Uh, and I think to me, empowering also means that there are there should be like relative freedom for the teams to try out different approaches, right? And I think especially within Gojek, we always encourage our data scientists to try out the latest techniques, the, the latest uh, stacks, right? And then they come back to us with the result of experiments. Uh, and this is also very interesting because this is also what we try to do also on company level. So when we talk to uh, executives, executives expect already that we tried out all those different things. And then when we have the conversation, it's not about whether we can start investigating it or not, but hey, these are the some of the new approaches that we've tried. Here are the results. Should we scale up? Yes or no, right? And I think that the, that also trickles down to the data scientist teams that we have. So empowerment is really important, right? Um, so ability to really like be very agile with the approach, 
an experiment measure, do like very fast iterations and then still related to empowerment is really also about, you know, have the courage to fail fast, uh, but then to learn as well out of it, right? So that's a that's a very important. Uh, and, and number two, I think everything needs to be measurable. I think we will discuss it also a bit later about measurability, right? So in all the different machine learning systems that we have, the first question is always, is the, um, is the, the, the product engineering a system that we want to integrate with, right? Does it have sufficient capability to do measurement. We want to make sure that that's in place before we actually even engage in any machine learning system projects that we have. So that's also really important, right? And, um, and, and, and definitely number three, um, I think the team also needs to be empowered to do you know, the decentralized decision making, for sure. Uh, it's again, part of the empowerment uh, because being able to take decisions by themselves um, using, of course, like a scientific method track will be able to Again, like empower the team to make the right decisions without needing a very complex um, decision-making structure. Yeah, yeah, that does answer the question. And you mentioned here measurability of output. Uh, you know, one thing I've seen you discuss and you've mentioned here is the importance of ensuring high leverage teams, improving the ROI of every single data scientist on your team. And at the heart of that is the ability to measure impact. I think a lot of data leaders struggle with quantifying their work, especially in metrics business leaders care about. So can you describe what are the steps that you had to cross in order to reach such a high level of transparency on the quantitative value of your team's output? Yeah, and I think definitely one very crucial ingredient of like having um, like a data-driven conversation, right? Especially with the executives, it's really to to start everything by asking the right questions. Like uh, like for example, what what are the imp- uh, what is the impact? Where 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 can I find the data? And what are the measurements that we use as as North Star? I think those conversations will actually trickle down also to the team level execution, right? So that's definitely like ingredient number one, like having a sponsorship from the executive, right? And and if we, if we look at our CEO, Kevin, so used to be head of BI actually for Zalora uh, before Gojek, right? So he together with another senior data leader back then, Crystal, actually like they built data organization, right? And so we understand really the values of having a proper data, asking the right questions, having the, the right North Star metrics is also very important because using this metric, actually we can march everyone towards the same direction, right? So definitely, that is a very uh, crucial. Second thing, like having a proper tooling in place is also very important. Having the proper infrastructure to do the measurements, right? Like I say, like uh, having a mature uh, A-B testing capability, for example, is really important. Configuration management uh, is really important. Uh, and all these different structures, that uh, infrastructures actually that we, we can think of, it is very important to have it in place, right? So that's number like layer number two. And layer number three is really like being able to have the right methodology to measure as well, because not everyone can be A-B tested, right? That's also the reason why we have a dedicated job ladder for that. We call it decision science, actually, where they basically incorporate a lot of like a statistical techniques to really answer some of the most fake questions that we have within the company, right? For example, how do we measure impact of loyalty? Um, you can't really A-B test uh, loyalty, right? But uh, and, and and I think I think for 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 that purposes, you know, we resort into many causal inference techniques, right, in order to be able to do that. And then um, again, there are so many choices. They really depend on the uh, use cases that we or, or the questions that we try to answer. But I think what I want to say is that it is really important to have uh, like a really proper scientific ways in order to ask the questions and to measure them, and be really intentional about it. Like having someone who's really like looking into this and really expert because it's a discipline on its own actually is will really help a lot.
in order to uh, get to that stage, right? So given that you've really emphasized creating this infrastructure and having this multi-layered approach to measuring impact of data solution, how does that play into your decision-making process around which data solutions to further invest in down the line? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really like influences a lot of our decision-making, right? Because again, like uh, machine learning investment or data science investment uh, in general are quite expensive. So it is really important to kind of like being able to size the, the, the market size before we even start any machine learning engagement, right? We need to be able to identify, I mean, if we compare five use cases, for example, right? are we talking about $1 versus $100 uh, impact? Or are we talking about like $40, $60 right, dollar, uh, impact? So I think it's really important to have that. And we really use all these different infrastructure to really um, become the basis for the conversations, different various conversations that we have within the company, for sure. Uh, that's how important it is right, to be able to have this measurement and be able to use that in order to make the right investment. And not only that, actually, I'm talking, this is, I mean, that's the, even the first layer. So the first layer is really about, do you want to make investment, yes or no, right? Second layer of questions can be, okay, now if I want to tackle these problems, I have 10 different solutions, different data science, uh, different ways to frame the problems, right? I can frame it as unsupervised, supervised, reinforcement learning, for example. It comes with its own uh, degree of complexity. And I think it is really important to be able to size that uh, uh, effort, you know, like the really to, to measure the trade-off between effort and impact, uh, putting in the nice quadrant and then really, okay, this is the approach that we want to do, right? So that, that's how deep we, we went into decision-making, basically using all those different infrastructure to make decisions on our data science projects, yeah. You mentioned here the use of decision scientists. So from a skills perspective, given how prevalent and diverse data science is within Gojek, what are the different roles you hire for and the different skill sets you think every data team should have? Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually, right? So um, first of all, um, the one especially relevant for this uh, podcast is uh, data scientists, right? So I think for us, data scientists, um, data scientists uh, at Gojek, they specialize at building scalable machine learning systems right so the the there the are like in, inherently there are expectations for data scientists at gojek to be full stack and also to be able to apply good software engineering principles in building this machine learning system um so that's 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 data scientists and even just to make it even clearer if i were to articulate it right so data scientists at gojek specialize at helping company making micro scale decisions very rapidly like high frequent micro decisions, right? Okay, now it, now, now it comes to um, decision scientists. So decision scientists, uh, if I want to contrast it with uh, data scientists, right? Decision scientists will specialize in really helping making um, uh, less frequent big decisions, right? Which, which inherently um, like require a lot of like uh, statistical knowledge in order to be able to frame the problems. Uh, um, uh, you know, like an apply the, the right techniques, basically. And then we also have uh, business intelligence, basically. So uh, the role of business intelligence within Gojek is really to make sure that um, we have one single version of truth um, where we look at things, uh, the, uh, like uh, they're also responsible in defining the right metrics, making sure the data is, um, is available. Um, uh, and they also like to some certain extent do the stewardship as well being able to map like a different business flows that we have and translate it into um, uh, tables that we have, right? Just to make sure that we have a proper data models because I think that's also very important because if we cannot really do a lot of like the advanced analysis that that, that we may want to do 
if you don't have a very solid foundations on the data, right? Having single version of truth is really important. Having reliable data that's, that, that does not break you know, once every week is all very important. So um, yeah, so those are different personas. And of course, you also have ML ops, machine learning engineers as well um, that we hire within Gojek. I'm excited to cover this more as we're talking about data teams. You know, oftentimes organizations undergoing data or digital transformation uh, struggle with identifying the best possible way to organize their data talent. Uh, some organizations gravitate towards like a centralized center of excellence model, other towards an embedded model where data scientists are integrated within functional teams. How is the data talent organized at Gojek? Yeah, I think for us it's also... It was also an evolution, I would say, right? So we've actually tried various different models. We started with metric organization. I think that was good for a very small team, right? Because we want to make sure that uh, everyone follows the same practice. So there needs to be like a centralized um, voice, right? In terms of how we should do things. Um, so basically what we do is that, what we, what we did back then is that we have a central team. We dispatch them to different products, right? Uh, but we were basically we were acting as consultants uh, pretty much back then, right? But then as the as the team grows, as the use cases grow within Gojek, uh, that model was not sustainable anymore. Uh, so what we do now, we are operating um, according to the federal system, I would say. So each of the head of data now within Gojek or data leaders, they have their own domain that they need to take care of. Um, we are very embedded within the within business team and also product teams. Um, just to make sure that we really like feel the heat as well, right? We are really invested. We have skin in the game, and it's also really like allows us to think bigger than the problem statement that we try to solve. And that's also very important, right? Um, and just to make sure that we um, have consistencies in terms of our practices and um, consistent our career path and etc. We form a, a council basically within data leaders at Gojek, just to make sure that there's just um, we follow also like the same uh, practices and, and standards as well, right? But um, so the, currently we are at the at the place where we are uh, fully embedded within a business team and product teams. Yeah. So do you think like as an organization increases in data maturity, the operating model needs to evolve with the organization's data capabilities, and it moves to move to something that is more hybrid? Yeah, I I, I, would, I would say even that that's inevitable. <laughs> I would say because otherwise the organization becomes too complex to to manage, right? And then um, for the functional leaders, the, the, the leader in the central function, um, uh, it is also very difficult, especially especially if we look at the domain of data science, right? I mean, it needs like, if you wanted to have like meaningful conversations, like a leader, a data leader needs to have a two, three layers deeper context, right? Depth basically in order to be able to have a meaningful conversation with the team and with the business leaders and then if we are putting it that way, uh, it, it just, it's just very difficult to be able to maintain knowledge, you know, like having a context, um, uh, especially within uh, like a various domains that we have at Gojek. Right? So I think to me, then it's inevitable to go to that model. And as you said, skin in the game is really important because otherwise data scientists are just creating analysis on an ad hoc or support basis. And that doesn't necessarily maximize the impact. Correct, right? And I think one thing also that I try to encourage, right, is that is that I, I I try to encourage that a traditional data data people in general, data professionals in general, are seen as service provider. <clears throat> but what I try to set as well within the organization is that data data people are not service provider. We are thought partners, right? Meaning that we need we need to be involved at the very beginning 
when the problems are being formed. Because that way we can actually give a good recommendation. We have a skin in the game and so on and so forth. I think there are so many benefits of doing that. Do you think then that data scientists often end up not really forging a sense of business acumen or understanding of the use case they're working on? And do you think data teams should focus on instilling that business acumen within their data teams? Yeah, I think I think so as well. I think like giving a big picture to a uh, data team is really important, right? To be able for, for us also to think beyond the, pro- the predefined problem statements that are given to us. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really important to, to, to have that, right? And I think I'm not saying that um, all organizations work that way. I think it really depends on the type of problems that we solve. I think for a very hyper-optimization type of problems, it makes sense, right? Then one will just uh, basically like stick to that problems. We really go like a uh, hundred layers deeper into the problem, right? And then really solve it, right? But especially for problems with quite uh, with large degree of ambiguity, I think it is really important to kind of like being involved in the conversation, right? Because it can go to multiple directions, um, especially in the objectives that we want to solve, right? So I think that's how I would differentiate between when. Um, especially like a, a data team needs to be involved at the very beginning, or it can be that the, the problem statement is very clear, right? We want to optimize conversion, for example, by building recommendation team and then a recommendation engine. And then it is very clear that we need to hyper-focus into that problem side. So, you know, as a data leader and someone who manages multiple data teams that work on a portfolio of different products and services, I'm sure the COVID-19 pandemic greatly affected your team uh, and the different data science solutions you work on and maintain. Do you mind walking us through how you dealt with, you know, concept drift affecting your models and more importantly, how you managed to sustain high-performing data scientists despite, you know, massive uncertainty and stress? Yeah, so I'll basically like address it from two perspectives. Right? So number one is that how it will affect how pandemic has affected our team. So I think um, in terms of the effect of pandemic itself, um, or, or even more specific, right, the fact that we need to work remotely, it didn't uh, affect our team that much because even before pandemic, um, we are a distributed team already. Uh, so our teams are actually distributed um, in several cities, right? We have teams um, in Singapore. Uh, in Thailand, in Vietnam, uh, in Bangalore, right? For example, even some of our colleagues have work also like uh, uh, from outside Asia. Uh, so it was less of an issue for us. Um, one thing that we doubled down um, was that we need to be very good with documentation. Um, everybody needs to be very good with documentation, right? Because um, the fact that everyone needs to work remotely, meaning that the one powerful mean of communications will be via documentation. So we uh, we take documentation seriously, for sure. Uh, we update always our confluence just to make sure that the model has proper documentations. It can be followed. There are links to a data source, um, to GitHub, um, and, and multiple other things, right? So um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, in terms of the effect to the model, right? Um, and I think even before pandemic, we acknowledge and we realize that we work on non-stationary environment already. If you look at the market, right? And especially the fact that we um, dominate some of the markets, um, meaning that any changes that we do to our model can potentially change the behavior of customers, meaning that there are also like a lot of feedback loops, right? Meaning that the market will change anyhow, and then we need to take it as business as usual, not as a not as a, as a phenomenon, right? But it's just that we always need to um, make sure that there are no drift in our um uh, features, for example, we need to make sure that we have a frequent training, right? And more and more, 
we realized that we need to adapt um, uh, like a bit more adaptive learning techniques in our modeling um, um, in order to be able to cater the changing market situations basically right so um, i think for us you know, maybe just to kind of like summarize it it, it was has been a, a business as usual but of course in terms of the business itself it has uh, largely impacted by the pandemic right um so that, that is for sure we, we we saw that but in terms of the way how we work um and how we um uh, basically uh, create and monitor our models um nothing changed uh, significantly yeah yeah, and I think this is where the data maturity of Gojek comes into play. I think a lot of organizations realize this year that they really need to invest in ML ops and the ability to monitor and update models in production. And that may not have been a problem at Gojek because that's a capacity you guys already had. Yeah, exactly. And I have to give kudos also to the data science platform team. <laughs> I think they've done a good they've done good jobs at um, providing us with all the different uh, infrastructure that we need in order to monitor this um, the model performance in real time having a feedback loop, uh, de- deployment technologies, and then so on and so forth. So uh, they have been amazing. Yeah, That's incredible. And I'd love to expand our conversation beyond creating high-impact teams. You know, as we discussed earlier in the episode, Gojek is a really highly data-mature organization that lives and breathes data. What do you think outside of high-impact teams are the characteristics of a data-mature organization? Right. I think it really lies um, not only on the tangible things that we can see and touch, right, but also I think in the spirit as well, it's very important. And I think one characterization, but, and this is a bit less also about data team, but it's just an organization as a whole, right? We need to live, breathe, and then we need to use the vocabularies uh, in our day-to-day conversation, right? We need to really like asking about correlation versus causations, bias, p-values, you know, like uh, what are the, um, the Bayesian drift? Um, I think that should be a part of the day-to-day conversation in order for uh, an organization to be a, uh, you know, labeled as a data mature organization, right? So it's really like inherently in the culture. I think it's a bit more meta than than just a tooling and dashboarding. Um, I think that's really like one of the characterizations. So and I, and I think it's really important as well. Like I can't emphasize it more is to for the leadership to really give a, to to set an example, right? Because everything starts with uh, asking the right questions um, to product team, to data team, right? Because that questions actually will trickle down a lot of things and. Um, I could maybe give some examples in the like uh, back in the early days when we say, hey, we want to measure, for example, what was the effect of having a, a certain loyalty membership, right? Uh, it got us thinking, like, hey, we, we we haven't had any infrastructure yet in order to measure these things, so we need to develop something, something, something more, right? Uh, and then we started to uh, explore, and we saw, hey, uh, this maybe we could approach using instrumental variables. Uh, uh, randomized encouragement, for example, right? And then that really triggers us to build capacity, uh, capabilities around that as well. Like, hey, what are some of the instrumental variables that we can generate as a, as a company in order to help us um, measuring the marginal impact of a certain phenomenon which cannot, work, which cannot be handled using a traditional A-B testing, right? Uh, that was just, again, me trying to illustrate how important it is to ask the right questions, um, especially for data mature organization, because that will reveal all the flows <laughs> that we need to build um, from data perspective. Right? Yeah. Couldn't agree more on the importance on 
the spirit and culture when it comes to creating a data-driven organization. I think really that's the main differentiator. Uh, you mentioned here infrastructure, and one thing that's quite impressive about Gojek is how geared the infrastructure is towards creating high-impact data science. Um, I've seen you speak about this in other interviews and panels, and this is something heavily featured in the Gojek Medium blog. Uh, do you mind walking us through the different technologies and infrastructure level in do you mind walking us through the different technologies and infrastructure level innovations Gojek has undertaken in order to facilitate high impact data science? Yeah, so I think I think there are a couple of right. So uh, we can uh, talk about it from MLOps perspective. We can also talk about it from uh, like a really like the you know like the downstream data engineering stacks that we have. Right. So I think one thing that I really like about Gojek is we like to develop our own solutions actually, especially when we think that the third party solutions do not cut our you know, the, the cannot actually uh, cater our needs, right? So we've actually developed a lot of like in-house uh, system as well, um, which were essentially also like a wrapper or, or of some of the recent technologies. In, for example, we talk about uh, like a storage, right? For example, so uh, we built a lot of like a wrapper um, around that. Um, just to give an example, we have built um, uh, around 20 to 30 data engineering tools within Gojek in order to help us moving data from one place to another place. We want to cater different transformations, for example, uh, data cataloging, we also have a solution for that. Um, we've also built Optimus, for example, which which, which was a, which, which is a CLI for uh, doing data transformation. So we built quite a lot of tools, right? And that's only from data engineering perspective. So 2030 tools. Um, and then when we look at MLOps uh, or MLOps uh, STEM, uh, data science platform, I've actually built quite a lot of uh, uh, tools for us. Uh, I can maybe quote, I can maybe like uh, tell like two or three of them, right? Uh, so for example, Merlin, right? So Merlin is a tool that has been used by data scientists to deploy models. So what used to take two or three weeks to deploy model, now it takes like 10 minutes for us. What we need to do is just like saving the, the, the pickle file, the binary file, right? And then, so we combine, like we stitch different technologies like MLflows, um, Kubernetes deployment, Docker, um, multiple stuff actually like putting them into one, creating a simple abstraction for data science, and then um, you, uh, then all the, the all the things will actually just being uh, yeah, it's just being managed by um, our data science platform team, right? So with Merlin, for example, a data scientist just to need to uh, save the binary file, uh, be that from uh, scikit-learn, PyTorch, for example, TensorFlow, put it, and then you know, there is like certain API link that we need to call. It will automatically upload it, deploy it in Kubernetes cluster. It will create logging system, monitoring system, and drift monitoring as well, like all in one single go, right? It's pretty nice. We also have, for example, FIS is uh, another uh, important uh, product that we have, we co-develop with Google, right? Which are also being used by uh, several companies now. Um, so FIS basically allows us to decouple the, 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 the feature surfing um, and also like the model surfing. Um, uh, basically, by just doing, by basically just creating um, a one layer for um, uh, training, for example, we can use the same abstractions also to serve the model, right? And it's also it also like uh, provides a good discoverability, a feature registration, for example, um, an ability, for example, to do historical uh, surfing or historical calcul batch calculation, or like an online real time surfing, right? Uh, just using one layer, one generic abstractions right so it's it's pretty pretty cool it's quite quite a lot of uh, stuff that we've done we also have touring of course and many other things like clockwork um, is also another product uh, but but i'll i'll just like uh, suggest the audience to just check our blogs and see what are the different tools that we've built yeah 
Yeah, I highly encourage everyone to check out the Gojek blog, which is truly a showcase of amazing proprietary technology and tools developed by the team. Are these solutions open source, Joffrey? Yeah, I think most of most of them by now. Yeah, so I think especially our data engineering tools. Uh, I think it was just recently, like one or two months ago. I think uh, we started to uh, open source the the tools that we've built in house. Yeah. Obviously, none of the above we've talked about so far is possible without high levels of data cleanliness and quality and organization-wide data governance. Uh, do you mind describing how important data governance is for scaling data maturity? Yeah, for sure. And I think that data governance is often overlooked, actually. right? Um, it is often taken as granted. Well, for us, it is really um, important because especially like if you look at the like in, in Indonesian um uh, like regulatory framework, right? we are very um, basically like a strict, and we really also want to keep the trust from the uh, consumers that we have. So we are actually very serious about like having data governance. Even we have a, our own data protection officer. Basically, right, we have a council of data governance that basically um, uh, that uh, who, who decides in terms of who should get access to which column. <laughs> what type of NDA uh, that we need to uh, like sign right before we can get access to that. Uh, recently, we have um, launched also. Um, we also have launched a, a, a tool called Ocean or Data Warehouse, uh, a, a new data warehouse tool. Basically, like with Oceans, we can basically separate entity. Um, we can really like govern. Uh, we we can um, separate between presentation layer and data mart layer, for example, uh, and give uh, like a very specific access to that one. Um, so I think for us, what I want to say basically, that, uh, it is very important things for us. We do have a council. We do have a governance process in terms of how we make use of the data that we have, right? And, and of course, like uh, various tools that we also develop in-house in order to, to help that, right? And I think the way we work, it's always first, we discuss what are the things that we need in terms of having a proper data governance and data protections. And then we kind of like build the, the, the tools uh, based on that requirement. And where do you think the data leadership's role stands when enabling high quality data across the organization? Can you briefly describe some of the features of Gojek's data governance program? It is very important, actually, right? Because <clears throat> there, I think there are a couple of roles that uh, the data leader uh, plays in this whole um, um, scaling up data governance. I think number one is really in terms of setting expectation. I think it is very important, right? Because <clears throat> because without uh, having a clear expectations, again, this is uh, like an area which is sometimes being uh, overlooked by people. Um, so setting expectations is one thing. Second, it's also about education, having a proper education of why we need it, right? Why, for example, a company will need proper data governance before they go public. Um, so I think those are the, the, the sec uh, second things, right? And I think the third thing as well, there needs to be a bridge, uh, right, between like a various um, stakeholders, basically, in the data governance, right? Because we need to bridge multiple um, uh, stakeholders, right, from regulatory perspective, from consumer. Uh, consumers are also um, our stakeholders, basically, in this. Um, and also like different functions, different products also within Gojek. So I think bridging uh, is also very important, right? So, so, so three things really, like uh, like set expectation, um, the bridging, right? And the, the and the third one is also education. In terms of tooling, what are some of the tools that you use for data governance uh, at Gojek? A lot of these things that we uh, like basically develop, we develop these capabilities in house. We create a lot of like the wrappers around it, and also like creating, for example, tools to really be able to to show the lineage of the data. Um, and also to understand, for example, whether uh, this comes from um, reliable uh, tables that we maintain also like on a regular basis. Because uh, historically, uh, 
from the hyper growth legacy that we have the we, we had a problems of like data that that grew organically right like really like it's all over the place we created the rife table from the rife table for example <laughs> so it ended up to create like a forest of tables um so we're also in the process of cleaning that up as well um so um yeah but i think in terms of in terms of tooling a lot of these capabilities we try to develop uh, in house right uh we might use a third party tool but i'm not very informed about that uh, to be honest so i'd like to pivot to discuss maybe organizational data literacy you know as a data science executive your role consists a lot of gaining executive buy in justifying resource allocation and all of that fun stuff uh what do you think is the proper level of data literacy executives need to have in order to be one uh, productive in these conversations and to critically assess the success of data projects initiatives right but i think this is something which <clears throat> which we can't really control i think in general if we look at the uh, companies right um, like companies especially when we look at the different spectrum of companies there will be like a different type of leadership leadership also like within those companies will come from different background right so it's kind of like the things that we can't really control right but i think it's really up to the data leadership to be able to articulate um the message really well to them um as such that Well, I hope I I hope really there are, there are some basics at least in, in in data of course right but just assuming that the basic is there right it's really up to the data leaders in order to cater to their audience right in terms of how they want to basically um try to push some certain agendas uh, with with respect to data right just as an as an example if, for example if I want to push more for resources right for data science um so what I will do um, um as long as uh, the the counterparts are rational uh we can basically uh, have a fact based conversation uh, i will bring my data right and say hey these are the these are like three people team we've generated or we saved this amount of money uh, per user uh, per per data science actually we so we can actually like normalize it to the, the the gains per data science right and then um yeah i can actually use that as an argument to be able to kind of push for more resources right so that's that's just within the context of data science uh, but i think uh, with with the context of uh, uh project Uh, like data governance for example i think especially with respect to data governance this is just something that we need to do i think it's just hygiene stuff right so um there is just really no other ways you know, to to not do, doing that not to be honest so um i think in order to have a productive conversations on this i think definitely the counterpart needs to um uh, yeah to have some some certain appreciation for data right uh, and i think especially for uh, like leadership who um were basically conceived um in the last uh, century so i would say i think the literacy around data should be uh, yeah should should be fine i think should be okay that's great and you've mentioned multiple times throughout our chat maybe data culture data spirit and how important that is uh i'm sure it also relates to creating very strong self-service analytics capabilities uh within an organization uh where do you think the data team's role is in creating and forging this culture uh, throughout the broader organization and the use of self-service analytics and uh what are some of the best practices you've adopted at gojek to sustain this and do you have any lessons to share there yeah that's a very good question actually So there are a couple of things that we are trying to do with respect to self uh, service analytics right so number one is really to have a proper uh, and reliable data that's a really the number one so the first things that we did is actually we tried to uh, fix the basics first um you probably remember all these different problems with um, uh, thousands of tables that we that grew organically in the past right we tried to uh, tidy that up first right just to make sure that uh, first of all it is reliable um it was based on like a, a 
like a reliable source of data, right? And then also like being able to create a proper data mark on the top of that. So that's that's definitely like the basics that we need to take care of. And then we, when we go to the info, um, information retrieval, so there are a couple of things that we, tr we are trying to do basically, right? So number one is also like encouraging um, our uh, analysts or, or business intelligence folks to be able to create a, um, more dynamic uh, uh, a dashboard, right? So we use like um, uh, tools like Streamlit, for example, to be able just to kind of create a complex uh, visualizations to be able to cater as such that um, business people, if they want to create a story, for example, it's just based on like several clicks and uh, intuitive enough, right? And then, for example, buttons will appear as soon as they are uh, interested in some certain domain, and just to help them navigate with all the, the various information that we have uh, at Gojek. So that's uh, another thing that we try to do. Um, and the, 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 another thing is that we try to um, develop also like an, another in-house tools, basically, that, that um, maybe um, I can't really be specific about the name at this moment and what it does, but pre pretty much the capabilities will be like we need just to um, uh, define dimensions and measurements and then filters as well. So only three things that business need to know. So they can just like a drag and drop things. They can just add dimensions. They can just like add measurements and then those uh, 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 like insight that the needs can just be produced um, nicely, right? But it also requires, I'm not saying that we're 100% there, but because it requires a lot of standardization. Uh, and like, especially like given the fact that we have around 20 plus products, right? It's not necessarily the easiest job to do. <laughs> to be able to standardize everything to, to achieve that state, right? Yeah, but those are some of the things that we're thinking and are actively doing at this moment. And on the consumer end, where does data education fits within the broader organization? Uh, how important is data literacy education is within Gojek? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting one, right? So because we also like realize a lot of our consumers uh, come from various backgrounds, right? So we are actually also actively pushing for data literacy. Uh, I can maybe mention one program, right? We have a program called Data Hero. So this is really like a program that um, which aims to educate a consumer, data consumers, basically teaching them SQL, teaching them the basics of of data, right? Or what are they like a data warehouse, data mart, data lake, and things like that. Um, in order basically to um, help them help themselves, <laughs> to help themselves, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so that is really crucial, I think, in, in terms of like creating this awareness, right? And of course, it also helps a lot because um, um, most, if not all, of our leaders are very um, like a data, data. Uh, they have like high data literacy, right? So they uh, they're always encouraged by the the top leadership to keep asking about data to their people, right? As such, that people realize how important to have a data driven conversation. Um, and it creates the urgency for themselves also to educate themselves around how to use data. That's great. And I want to cap off our conversation by discussing some trends and insights and where you view the role of data science and AI uh, playing in the future. Um, so Goja creates so much impact throughout Indonesia and beyond with its technologies. Uh, how do you view advances in AI and data science further fueling value for Goja customers? And which advances are you excited about the most? Yeah, I think I think there are a couple of things, right? So I'm, I'm most excited about the use of like, uh, especially the the rise of uh, causal machine learning, actually, right? Because a lot of um, uh, things that we do inherently, for example, if you look at particular domain on uh, Chrome optimization engine, right? It's all about 
it is very natural to frame it as causal problems, actually, because um, just to give an example, right? For example, if you want to do churn prevention, um, it will not be very useful to predict churn because it will create vicious cycle, right? <laughs> you predict people who are inherently very difficult to uh, resurrect anyhow. Um, so what we need to be able to do is to be able to prev- uh, to be able to predict when they will be churned, and then also to understand which treatments um, w- uh, work most effectively to prevent them from being churned. Right. Uh, so to be able to frame it that way, um, and I think I'm, I'm actually very happy, especially like in the recent years, we were able to frame causal inference into machine learning uh, as such that we can actually take advantage of the um, like how good machine learning in dealing with sparse data like high dimensional data, right? Um, that is very crucial. Uh, back in the old days, we uh, needed to manually specify confounders, for example. Um, uh, but, but, but now with the recent advancement in, in, in causal machine learning, for example, we just like put the data over there right? and then being able to gain the, you know, the marginal impact estimation, for example, and the data will, um, uh, the, 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 the algorithm will basically like learn, um, you know, like which, which are the most probable Confounders. That's if you use if you use confounders, for example, in techniques, right? So that's that's ever number one. Uh, I think number two. Also, I see that there are, there's quite a um, a promising future for um, reinforcement learning type of uh, algorithm. Um, um, I'm actually very excited about it, right? And if you kind of like a, um, go down a little bit, also like under the under the hood, right? Especially on the Markov decision process. Um, I think it has a very uh, promising application as well, especially within the context of dynamic market, right? Because we want to be able to have um, an algorithm that can um, learn online, basically, without us needing to download it first, training it offline, pushing it again to production. So as much, like as much as possible, exactly, as much as possible, we want to push into that state where um, it's just basically like a learning by, by itself, right? And if you look at especially um, within the domain of like behavioral modeling, um, especially in, 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 uh, within the context of marketing and prom optimization engine, right? Um, there's quite a lot of areas where we can at least uh, explore the, the potential applications of that. So that I'm also very excited about. Of course, the, 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 the recent advancement also in GPT-3, uh, you mentioned about AutoML, right? I think that's also a, a very exciting uh, development as well in the within the field, right? And especially with GPT-3, I think, we just barely scratch of what what can be done uh, <laughs> with it. Um, so yeah, I think I, I see a world where data science solutions will be commoditized. Um, there will be a lot of like out of the box solutions, as such that as data scientists uh, or data professionals, what cannot be replaced um, would be really the creative parts of it, right? So I would really I would. Um, highly encouraged, especially for uh, aspired data scientists uh, out there to really like sharpen the problem solving skills, right? Like creativity, be able to use these different tools because again, um, uh, you know, like we might only estimate um, models with one single click, right? But still it, it requires um, in-depth understanding of the mathematics and statistics in order to be able to um, um, interpret those models, those solutions, right, and being able to take decisions out of that. So, yeah, I know you're you're someone who's a big math fan, and I've seen you argue for why data professionals should develop a deeper technical understanding of the models they're working with. How do you reconcile this worldview with increasing automation technologies for data scientists? 
So I think one thing, um, and I think it has a good purpose, by the way, like all the different automations which are being created, um, it has a, a purpose of, uh, basically to democratize machine learning and AI, right? I think for some certain problem areas, that makes sense. Uh, because, um, you know, like it will basically, especially on the repetitive stuff, right? And I think I remember also what Andrew Ng quoted. So everything that can be done within one uh, second uh, is actually like a prime uh, use case for um, uh, machine learning or AI, right? But I think there are also like more and more we discover also a lot of like different type of problems which cannot really be solved within one second. Uh, these are like very ambiguous uh, problems about um, around, for example, redistributing vouchers, um, how to develop users into more mature state, for example. So it's a very tricky one, right? So again, what I wanna what I wanna say is that um, it has a good purpose, but it might not able to tackle all the uh, industry problems that we face currently, right? Especially uh, on various domains that can generate like a, a lot of impact. Um, so, so that's number one. Um, and number two, I think even though um, there will be quite, uh, there will be a large degree of automations in the future, but I think it is also very important to understand the mechanics uh, un underneath these uh, make uh, these automated solutions. Actually, uh, for humans to be able to make um, wise decisions on how to use it, right? Being able to interpret the byproduct of those estimations, for example, are also very important. You know, like how to, um, instead of like applying it blindly. Uh, but again, there are like uh, areas where we can comfortably do that, but there are also like another areas that you can't just apply uh, some mechanics like blindly, right? So it is really important to understand the mechanics and to really understand what it does. Right? That's awesome. Finally, Chafri, any call to action before we wrap up today? Yeah, I, I think I think there are a lot of, and, and I, I just want to also like uh, relate it a little bit with this uh, advancement in automations of machine learning, right? Um, and I think some people might think that, hey, our jobs will be replaced. It will not be sexy anymore, right? But I think contrary, I would say the more and more different breed of uh, data scientists actually will be needed in the future, right? People who are able to uh, solve problem, applying first principles and try to combine the various available solutions, stitching them, and being able to decide, you know, which uh, solutions uh, actually can solve a particular problem. So uh, that's a like word of encouragement, basically, to still invest yourself in the domain, especially in uh, some like emerging countries like Indonesia. We barely scratch of what we can do uh, in terms of impact, right? Um, uh, especially if you look at the structural inefficiencies in some of these countries, there's like huge opportunities for data professionals really to create impact over there. Yeah, thank you so much, Sharfi, for the insights. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. That's it for today's episode of Data Framed. Thanks for being with us. I really enjoyed Sharfi's insights on the data science powering Gojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. Our next episode will be with Shamik Kundu, former Group CDO at Standard Chartered and current Chief Strategy Officer at Truera. I hope it will be useful for you, and we'll catch you next time on Data Framed.